0: On week two of The Art of Connecting. We're going to be on it in a minute. There we go. And we're talking about the E words, evangelism. For those of you that weren't here last week, evangelism, translated from the Greek, good news. And yet sometimes we behave as if it's Bad news, don't we? We believe uh, that actually what we're trying to offer to people is some foul-tasting medicine that they won't like and might make them better. It's good news. On occasions, we feel like we are facing some kind of overwhelming mountain when we think about evangelism that we cannot climb. And last week, Phil was speaking about a number of different reasons for that, Maybe it's fear. Fear's a big one, isn't it? In evangelism, I I just feel too afraid to even go there for all manner of different reasons. Maybe it's a sense of inability. I won't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to relate my faith to another person. Or it's a lack of confidence in ourselves or in the gospel. I can't do it. Here's the one that really gets to us, I think. Is it a lack of conviction, a lack of reality, a lack of the sense that it's actually really true and that it actually really makes a difference? And then we ask ourselves this question, what right do I have? Who am I? I mean, my life isn't so fantastic, is it? In fact, their life looks better than my life. So who am I? What right do I have to share this? After all, there's so many different ways people could follow and so many different things they could sign up for. What right do I have to share. And so we started last week talking about our story, our story. And the key truth that I heard, and I hope you did too, was this, that the most important thing is that we have a live connection with Jesus. Is that what you heard? I think that must be what Dave heard because he pretty much just said it a live connection with Jesus, that our CV, that the story of our lives is up to date, that this is an ongoing story of an ongoing relationship, not just a story from, in the last service I said 50 years ago, maybe we'll kind of bring it forward a little bit, 30 years ago, or 10 years ago, or even a year ago. The challenge is that it is an ongoing, up-to-date story from this week, that we have to bring and share. But what we're talking about is three-story evangelism. Our story, their story, and God's story. And this morning, primarily, we're looking at their story. So I want to ask you a question. It's not a hard question. In fact, it's a really easy question. The question is this. Who do you connect with. So for one minute, I would like you to speak to the people around you and tell them a long list of people that you connect with, family, friends, the person in the street where you every morning go, hello, but you don't know who they are. They don't know who you are, but you meet them every day in the street. Hello. Um, The person in the corner shop, your doctor, the dentist, whoever, I want you to turn to the people around you and give them a long list of all the people that you connect with. Go. Go. Okay, that's your minute up. Put your hand up if uh, you have over five people that you connect with. Over 10, over 20, over 30, over 50, over 100. I mean, probably quite a lot of us do, don't we? We connect with lots of people, there are lots of people, some closer and some more distant that we connect with in our lives every single day without making the slightest effort at all. We just connect with them. And in all those relationships, we can live one of two ways. We can live casually. So we don't invest much in those, we don't think about them a whole heap, we certainly never pray about them, we just kind of live casually in those relationships, and in some relationships arguably that's acceptable, some it's clearly not. Or we can live intentionally with a keen sense of that we are called to be Jesus in every relationship that we find ourselves in, to be those people who share in all sorts of different ways, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to live intentionally. But what does that mean? Well, perhaps actually, even me saying that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. Is an intentional relationship genuine, or is it kind of trying a bit too hard? does that make it, therefore, less genuine? These are some of the feelings that we have when we talk about intentional relationships. And perhaps in the past, we've talked about intentional evangelism. So here's some of the thoughts we might have. We're waiting for the moment. So we have this friendship. And we kind of carry on with the friendship. But we're always waiting for the moment. You know, the moment when the angel music starts in the background and the fuzzy feeling and our hearts start studying, we think, this is it. This is the moment where I need to tell them the four spiritual laws as quickly as possible and then run, (laughs) because this is the moment. Is there a moment? Maybe sometimes there's a moment. I don't know if it has angel voices singing in it or not. There are key moments when we sense the Spirit of God is at work and we think, this is a a moment where I could say something here. Not necessarily everything, something. Or perhaps we have that view that, well, we can live the gospel without using words. St. Francis of Assisi said that, preach the gospel, but then he said, if necessary, use words. And we've only remembered a bit of it Because it's actually comfortable, isn't it, and convenient to have all our relationships where I I live the gospel, but I never actually have to say anything, because that's the frightening bit, isn't it? Sometimes we do need to say something, to explain, to give reason. I found myself here in friendships, even more so with family, isn't it, where it's too risky, you feel it's too risky, that if I now, having built up this friendship, share my faith then i might lose the friendship it might all go terribly wrong and it's so much of a risk that i i don't want to what does that say about how we feel about our relationship with jesus if we think it's too risky to share with someone we really like i think some of us feel such pressure that if the person doesn't convert they don't come to know jesus then we feel that we failed or worse actually we feel that the friendship isn't worth it And I suppose the end point of that is some kind of feeling that people are gospel fodder. I know I, at times, was sort of trained in that you should go out and make intentional relationships so that you can evangelize. Somehow that doesn't always feel quite right. People are to be loved, valued, accepted. And because we love Jesus and he loves us, we share that with people as we go along, not for some kind of tally at the end of the year. So, we're going to talk about what it means to live intentionally in a positive way, what it means to overlap our story with other people's stories, our lives with their lives. I want to tell you a story that I hope will encourage you this morning, and it's Mike's story, and he has given me permission to tell you this. Mike became a Christian at South Craven Evangelical Church when he was about 16. So not very long later, he headed off to university, and uh, he went to Hull University. I'm expecting at least two cheers at this point. The other two people that went to Hull University aren't here this morning. (laughs) Um, And um, when he filled in the form like you do to say about you before you go to your halls of residence, there was one that said something around religion and Mike wrote Christian on it. I think, hoping or expecting that they would put him in to a room with someone who was sympathetic. So when he got to university, he had made that assumption that Mark Dudgeon, with whom he was sharing the room, was also a Christian. So for the whole first term, Mike lived uh, as a keen and enthusiastic Christian, reading his Bible and praying and going to Christian Union and church and talking about those things that he assumed Mark would want to talk about that Mark would be doing. And at the end of the first term, Mark said to Mike, um, I think I need to become a Christian, because I don't think I am one. <laughs> There's something really powerful about that, because actually what it says is when we stop stressing and trying really hard and just are normal, actually it's much more convincing than trying really hard and being all weird. Did you get weird after that? Or were you normal after that, (laughs) too? There's something really. Sorry, that came out completely wrong. (laughs) There's something really powerful about being genuinely who we are. So we're going to have a think about that, how our story and their story overlap. Foundational and fundamental in the way that we relate to people is attitude. And the key attitude that we need to have is that. I don't know if anyone's good at Chinese here. This is the Chinese character, I. And uh, it means love. It means love. And it was developed... um, at the point where arranged marriages were common in China. So the top symbol there is the holding of hands. It's gripping together. The people were pledged to one another. And then they went underneath the roof. I think you can probably see the roof there, which is a place of security and acceptance and shelter, the home. Underneath that is the heart. So love would grow in the context of security and commitment to each other. And then the bottom bit there is around friendship and service and action that you worked your love out in practice. Isn't that beautiful? It conveys so much more than our word, which is so uh, misused as well as properly used these days. Love, heart, emotion, intention, action, that has to be behind all the relationships that we have, doesn't it? And we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who showed the greatest love. His love reached out. He came and lived among us. That was the kind of love he had for us. He didn't just stay in the safe place. He came and lived among us. He related to people as they were. He accepted people as they were. That's why we find him with the Samaritan woman. He was just Where she was at the time of day, she was there. I just noticed when Angie was reading the story again, it says Jesus was tired. And how often do we not want to be bothered (laughs) when we're tired? But Jesus was there, he was tired. It was the heat of the day. But his love for this woman, who no one else really accepted and understood, drove him to share himself with her. And Jesus allowed himself the vulnerability of Loving and being loved, and both those things are true, and we're going to talk a little bit more about those in a moment. Out of love comes this, doesn't it? Service. Service. And serving people because we love them opens doors, it allows for conversations, it allows us to express genuine love. That's what we do in Food Bank, it's what we do through CAP and messy hands, and lunch club, where we serve people. We offer them service because we love them as people created in the image of God with dignity and worth and value. That builds relationship, and out of that comes the sharing of our lives and the story of Jesus. It is in those relationships that this most important um, dynamic comes into play and we're back to some more Chinese, I was having a Chinese week. <laughs> it's about listening because there's probably nothing more powerful in connecting their story with God's story and our story than listening, than listening. And here we have a load of different symbols that build up this character. The first one's to hear. It's kind of important, isn't it, in listening, that you can actually hear. Sometimes we can't hear. We need to make room to hear people's stories at all, to really hear, take them on board. And then we have to think. I am capable of hearing without it passing through my mind. I don't know if the others of you have this experience at all. We need to engage in our minds with what we hear in order for it to start to become effective at all, as a process. Ah, this is a bit challenging as well, isn't it? And we need to be present. See, because we can hear, loosely engage with our minds, not really be present. Our bodies can be present, but the rest of us can be sadly absent during the process of listening, isn't that true? We need to be present, really there for real listening, to take place. And then we need to be able to see. See, most of us are well-trained. Trained Trained, actually almost like Pavlov's dogs. So when somebody says, how are you? We reply, I'm fine, thank you. We're all very good at doing that, aren't we? And sometimes we're fine, thank you. And sometimes that's the appropriate level of the relationship. But actually, when you look, when you really see what somebody is saying with their mouth and what their eyes are saying and the expression on their face and their posture and their body language are not always saying, I'm fine. Sometimes people, I say to people, do you want to have a chat about something? Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. You're busy. Yeah, I'm busy talking to people like you. That's kind of... (laughs) And that's what their voice says, but actually, when I look at them, that's not what they're saying. They're saying, please push a little bit harder, please ask me again, please make a bit of space, please encourage me to talk. When we look, we hear more than when we just hear with our ears. That makes sense, doesn't it? And part of that is focusing. I think we uh, become experts in listening whilst focusing on other things, don't we? Please nod, make me feel slightly better. That we appear to be listening, we appear to be there, but actually our focus is on, oh, I need to go see that person, I need to speak to that person about the women's event on Saturday night. I wonder if the kids have got home yet. I wonder if they even came, because I actually haven't seen them yet. And our mind's everywhere. And are we focused, really, on what someone is saying? And here we are, the heart symbol again. Because actually it's got to be more than an exercise in trying really hard to be present, to focus, to listen and all that. Somewhere we have to connect with our hearts that we feel something in response to what someone is saying to us. If ever anyone thought listening was easy, you just need to look at the Chinese character and you really realise that it isn't at all. One of the biggest gifts that we give to people through CAP, particularly thinking of that, is that two people turn up at somebody's house. Someone who's obviously in a difficult position, maybe distressed, maybe there's lots of stuff going on in their lives. And really what they're saying when they walk in the door is this, tell us your story and we will sit here for a couple of hours and listen. Listen. That is our job today is to listen because we care about you. We care about you as a person where you are. We know God cares about you. We are focused here. What a massive gift that is. It's massive. Where else do people go to be listened to? Our poor doctors have got a 10-minute slot if they're lucky. It's not that they wouldn't listen, but they can't. Not beyond, much beyond that. And other agencies in the town, that's still the same for them, so pressured where do people come to be listened to whether it's a trauma or it's just that experience that you want somebody to hear you it's a gift that we give to people following in our master's footsteps Jesus was so brilliant wasn't he at asking questions and listening to the answers whether it was Nicodemus or the women at the well, or the people he healed, he asked questions. I think we need to practice that probably a bit more as well, rather than the kind of obvious ones, how are you? Maybe something a bit more than that. He asked questions, and then he heard. He even went to someone who was crippled and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, that's kind of like proper listening, that, isn't it? That's not assuming. What do you want me to do for you? I'm listening to what you want to tell me, to your story before I kind of march in there, listening. I want to show you a film clip, and um, don't worry that you can't hear the beginning bit terribly well, it's the end of the bit that's more important. This is a conversation between a father and his son, Uh, and the son's just uh, preparing himself to head off to university, which he calls school, because that's what they do in America. Okay. Hey. You all packed? Yep. Can I give you a hand? Yeah, wiggle that tail section for me just as coach, will you? I don't know what I'm gonna do around here without my wingman. Oh, I'll be back as soon as they catch on to me. <laughs> yeah, what have they got to catch on to? Well, it's a tough school, and, and and everyone else will be more used to the city. Did you know that one skyscraper has more people than the entire town of Claremont? And, and, and they're all real sophisticated, too. Y- you've seen that Seinfeld show, right? It's just like that. They've all got that, that sarcastic kind of humor. And who was purported to be the funniest kid at Jackson High? I mean, you told me a joke the other day. It was hilarious. A, a frayed string walks, walks into walks the, the bar. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. You're a funny guy. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's such a giant city. How can you possibly meet anyone? You want the secret to making friends? Sure. I picked this up in the service. You will have a lot of buddies if you remember this one rule. Interested is interesting. Uh, what do you mean? Well, everybody's got a story, okay? And all they want is for somebody to listen to it. People are basically good. if you care about them, they're going to want to be your friend. All you gotta do is is look at those people. Look when you're talking to someone. That's it, that's it. Look them in the eye, focus. Hear their story. Hear what they've got to say. You do that, buddy, and you can do no wrong. Yeah. Thanks. Did you get it? Interested is interesting. Interested is interesting. If we're interested, then that's interesting, isn't it? Then we have an opportunity to share something of us and our story as well. I love this picture. I chose it intentionally. These two old guys sat on the bench. Look at their faces. The one who's talking is obviously animated with his hands, really, really engaged. And the other guy just looking him straight in the face, listening, interested. It's like there's nothing else in the whole world apart from these two guys on their bench. Be interested. Don't worry so much about your story that you can't be interested in their story, which will open the doors. I read this poem this week. It's about listening. Let me read it to you. I need to listen to people to really listen to stay out of the way of their thoughts, to be a safe place for them to share their fears, hopes, frustrations, brokenness, anger, dreams, desires, embarrassments, loneliness, confusion. I will listen to their story no matter how long it takes, no matter what is said, no matter where it takes us. I will be caring, humble, compassionate, open, understanding, fun. I will be a friend. That's it. A real friend. That's what we're doing, connecting as friends. And part of that, and this is what I mentioned earlier on, is about authenticity. It's got to be real, hasn't it? It's got to be not layered on the top, but real. And with authenticity, whether it's loving or serving or listening, comes this slightly frightening word, vulnerability. Brené Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, says this, Vulnerability is at the core, the heart, the center of meaningful human experiences. Are we willing to be a bit vulnerable? Or do we still feel like the Christian needs to have it all sorted and then we are taking of our strength to give to this other person in their weakness? still think there's quite a pressure to feel that we should be the sorted ones that Jesus is the answer to everything feeling that we have a badge that says that and then we can't ever be vulnerable but we bring who we are don't we we have to take off that mask and be who we are share who we are our hopes our fears, our dreams, our disappointments, our delusions about who we are and what our lives might look like, to be real because Jesus is with us in our reality. The good, the bad, and the ugly and everything in between. He's in that. That's what we share. A number of years ago now, I um, decided that it was time for me to sort out a few issues in my own life. And so I decided to go and get some counselling. This makes me terrified telling you this, by the way. So I thought I would be vulnerable. Um, and so I did that for, for, for a period of time. And I didn't tell very many people at all. Um, but I decided that I wanted to tell two friends who were school mums, um, who I'd got to know uh, through most of their primary school. The kids were still in primary school, but that sort of age group. And we were meeting for coffee. And I said, oh, I can't do Friday morning. Uh, can we meet in the afternoon? So they were like, yeah, sure, we'll meet in the afternoon. So we met in the afternoon and uh, and I was like, I need to tell them about this. I need to tell them. I'm I not sure I told really anybody much in church. I, I need to tell them. So we were kind of chatting and they're like, oh, how's your morning been? And I said, well, I've been over to Huddersfield and I've been to, for some counselling about these things. And I had that kind of deep breath thing, which is I'm a Christian. Not only am I a Christian, I'm a minister, aren't I? So I'm supposed to be properly sorted out. You're right. Uh, sharing that with them who, quote, I was trying to impress. I mean, I wasn't trying to impress them, but you know what that feels like, don't you? They could not have been more lovely They could not have been more supportive for the next period of time. They were the ones who, whenever I saw them, which was pretty regularly, were like, how are you? How are you doing? Is it going well? Is there anything we can do? You see, that builds relationship, doesn't it? In a way that standing on a pedestal saying, I'm fine, I have all the answers, which is what it's interpreted as, I have all the answers, and you're not fine. The story is, actually, how does Jesus fit in, to the brokenness that we all have, to our weakness, to our vulnerability, to our reality. During this last week, we have been faced with Mike having the threat of redundancy from work. What does that look like for us? We're not brilliant at praying together, but on this occasion, we did. We sat down and we sought God, and we've actually both had a real sense of peace because Well, God looks after us, doesn't he? Lots of you have been through redundancy. It may or may not still happen. Probably will, but may not. Um, Lots of our friends have, haven't they? The reality is, where is Jesus in the middle of that, that we have to share our story, overlapping with God's story with their story? And we need some vulnerability in that so that the real us meets the real them, not some kind of masks on either side, but a genuine connection where Jesus is at the centre. So our story, their story, God's story, and the overlap. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13 in the Message Version says this, Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of this earth. If you lose saltiness, how will people taste goodness, godliness? I make lots of food and, you know, you taste it, you think, oh, this doesn't taste how it should. And then you get the salt and you sprinkle a bit of salt on. And wow, the change is massive. That's what God is calling us to, to be a bit of salt, not a whole salt shaker. A little bit to bring out the godliness, to make people aware of what they're missing and what Jesus brings. Jesus said, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. We can't see colors in the dark. You can only see colors in the light. Our job is to be the light, bringing out the God colors. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, says this. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. That's the foundation, isn't it? Our connectedness to Jesus, our submission to him. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Did you notice? Like that's they ask you and then you answer. Not necessarily jumping straight in, they ask you answer. Who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect is key in the way that we share the parts of our story that are required. And then in Colossians chapter 4, Paul is asking prayers for himself. And he says, uh, for the sharing of the gospel, he says this pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, seasoned with salt. This is the key thing, isn't it? You don't want the whole salt pot on your dinner. You just want a little bit. It's not really helpful very often, just occasionally, to share everything about the whole gospel and everything you know about God and every answer to every difficult question you've ever revised on, all at once, bang. That does have the same experience to most people of you pouring salt onto their dinner, the whole of the salt pot. Gracious, gentle, respectful. Some salt. Some salt, yeah. Well, I was going through something. We prayed about that and had a real sense of peace. We're really privileged in our church, and genuinely we are. So we have lots of friends who've walked some similar journeys and sharing that with them and talking with them is just a massive gift to us. Maybe we could pray for you about that, if that's okay. We all have issues with ourselves, let's start there. Our family life, our kids, older parents, Work, health, stuff at school, friendships, money. We all have the same issues, don't we? The difference is that Jesus shares our story with us. And we bring that to share with other people in their story. I think that's it.